Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate what they do, and I appreciate the good work Phyllis does. That's not easy. Uh, I was down here one Sunday morning, it's been a while ago, and they were short a ringer. And they knew better than let me ring a bell, but they said, would you mind directing? You remember that? And so I said, tell me what to do. And so I stood down there and I did the directing and Phyllis got up here and she was ringing. And uh, it ain't easy. Pardon my, pardon my grammar, but it ain't. Uh, but uh, we appreciate the ministry uh, there. Hope you bring along your Bible. If not, bring your Bible with you. We'll be using it every Sunday here. And uh, if you didn't get a copy of it uh, brought along today, grab one out of the pew rack and be finding uh, the little book of 1 John. And you can be putting a marker there as we begin a new series today uh, in 1 John. I understand after many months of waiting, uh, a Russian girl finally obtained a visa uh, to visit her relatives in Canada uh, for three months. And she arrived in Canada, and like we often do when relatives come, she was shown all the attractions and all the amusements and all the entertainments and all the sights and sounds of that area. And the young Russians seemed immensely impressed with all of this and all the things the people were doing and and all the sights and sounds. And uh, the three months went by, and as they grew to a close, everyone expected her uh, to defect and to seek political asylum uh, there in Canada. And uh, that was their expectation. But you know what? She surprised them all because she expressed a desire to return to her family in Russia and to return to the small uh, group of believers to which she belonged. And she explained that in North America, everyone seems so wrapped up in things, they don't have time for people. And she said, in Russia, we don't have as many material possessions. And consequently, we need each other. She wanted to return to a place where people relied on each other, where fellowship was important. Get to thinking about that. Being so wrapped up in things that people don't matter as much. Reminds me of the story I heard of Mamie. Mamie made frequent trips to the post office And one day she confronted a long line of people in front of you. Can you imagine that? A long line at the post office. Uh, It happens when I go to other post office, not as much maybe here. But they were waiting for service from one of the postal clerks. And maybe only needed stamps on this particular day. And one of the person there in line with her observed, well, why don't you use the stamp machine? Uh, They said, you can get all the stamps you want and you won't have to stand in line. You can get what you want and go. And Mamie looked at that person and said, I know, but the machine can't ask me about my arthritis. Um, People need people. Uh, People need fellowship. Christians need fellowship. And today we're starting a new series that we're calling Sweet Fellowship, a study on the book of 1 John. If you haven't turned there, please turn there. If you're still looking for it or you haven't found it yet, you'll find it near the end of your Bible. Right before 2 John, which is about a page, and 3 John, which will be a page, and Jude, which will probably be a page, and the book of Revelation. You'll find the book of 1 John. We're going to talk about sweet fellowship. And the fellowship we're talking about, beloved, is not just the fellowship that we enjoy one with another, as sweet as that is. But we're going to see it's also sweet fellowship with God Himself. 
We're going to see that clearly in a moment as we read the opening verses of this little book. Now, I would encourage you today to take down some notes. I'm going to give you some foundational material. We're going to kind of set the stage for this series. I'm going to give you a very simple outline. I'm going to talk to you about what the book is about. Then we're going to dive in and see some wonderful truths here in the very beginning verses of this. So if you don't mind taking some notes, if you like doing that, that's fine. If you don't, you just sit there and listen. But tune in today as we kind of set the stage for the study of First. John. Now, this little letter was written by the Apostle John, and John didn't write just this letter. He wrote some other letters as well. You probably know the Gospel of John. He wrote that. He wrote First John. He wrote Second John. He wrote Third John, and he also wrote another book. Do you know what it is? Revelation. That's right. And so John is the author of these books as the Holy Spirit used him. Paul Van Gorder gives us this background information on the book of First John. We don't know exactly when it was written, but probably, he says, probably written from Ephesus in the latter years of John's life, perhaps just prior to his imprisonment on Patmos, that is the revelation. Uh, This epistle may be the last apostolic message to the entire church. Now, some think it was written after Patmos. We don't know exactly when, but probably in his later years. Uh, Probably his last apostolic message to the entire church because 2nd and 3rd John were written individuals. He said, C.I. Schofield wrote, The Gospel of John shows us the Father's thoughts and ways with the Son. That is capital S-O-N, the Son. Whereas the epistle, and that's just a big long word, a big fancy word for the letter, the epistle of John, the book of 1st John, the epistle tells us the Father's thoughts and ways with the sons, little less. That is, the sons and daughters of God. The gospel leads us across the Father's threshold. The epistle makes us at home in the Father's house. He said this is the Father's letter to his family. The Father's letter to his family. Centering in Christian fellowship, it includes pertinent matters relating to the daily walk, to sin, to attitudes, to brotherly love, and to chastening. All those things that apply to us. Now I want to give you a very simple outline. If you like taking this down, you can. If not, check out for about a minute nap and then come back with us. But I want to give you an outline, four-point outline. This is not original with me. This is Wilmington's Bible Handbook. Four-point outline on the book of John so you can see the big picture. Number one, the basis of fellowship. Chapter one, verses one through four. The basis of fellowship. Chapter one, verses one through four. Second, the proofs of fellowship. The proofs of fellowship. Chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 27. The proofs of fellowship. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 2, 27. Third, the fruits of fellowship. The fruits of fellowship. Chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 24. The fruits of fellowship, 228 through 324. And then finally, fourth, exhortations on fellowship. Chapters 4 and 5. Exhortations on fellowship four and five. Now, if you're analytical like me and you like to get everything complete, if I don't go over those again, it's going to drive you crazy. And so let me give it to you real quick. The basis of fellowship, the proofs of fellowship, the fruits of fellowship, and the exhortations on fellowship. The theme, of course, it looks like is what? Fellowship. Fellowship. Well, with all that under our belt, you've got all that down. Those that are uh, napping... Wake up, we're ready to move on. And we're going to look now at the first four verses of this book. As we talk about sweet fellowship, beginning in verse number one. Would you read as I read that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And did you notice why we're calling the series Sweet Fellowship? If you didn't look back at verse three again, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now you probably notice if you've studied other books of the Bible, you read other books of the Bible, this is a little bit different. It doesn't start with a salutation and greeting. It doesn't say, I, John, write to you or anything. In fact, there's no greeting, no salutation, none of that. John just jumps in with both feet and wastes no time getting to the heart of the message. Now, we don't know a lot about the background. We don't know the date specifically. We don't know the location of writing. Uh, we don't know all those sorts of things. But we do know it was written to believers. We find if you look in chapter 2, these words in verse 12 through 14. Chapter 2, 12 through 14. I'll write to you little children. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you've known the father. I, I, I've written to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the wicked one. So it's clear here that he's writing to believers. And maybe one of the reasons he doesn't get specific because this is the father's letter to his children. This is for us. And this is what we need to understand. And John is very clear of why he wrote this letter. In fact, there are at least six reasons that he wrote. We've already covered some of them. First of all, to bring fellowship. We just read it in chapter one, verse three. Your fellowship is with us and with his with the father and his son, Jesus Christ, to, to, to bring fellowship. To complete joy. We just read in chapter 1 verse 4, right? These things I write to you that your joy may be full. He also wrote that we might grow in holiness. Listen to chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's writing to grow us in our holiness. Fourth, he wrote to give encouragement. We just read those verses, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I write to you little children and fathers and these. He's encouraging them. Uh, a fifth reason that he wrote, a very important reason, was to fight false teaching. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 26 says, These things have I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. <clears throat> so he's writing to refute false teaching, fight false teaching. And then a very important point. Oftentimes people go directly to this one and say, why did he write? That is, he wrote to promote the assurance of eternal life. He wrote to promote the assurance of eternal life. You may have even memorized this verse. It's a great one to use as you're witnessing and as you lead people to Christ. First John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. He wants you to have that assurance. And I want you to have that assurance. You know why? Because I can speak from experience. 
It is a horrible thing to live without that assurance. First of all, of not being saved, but then I was saved and still didn't have the assurance. Because I wasn't taught the word of God the way I should have been taught the word of God. Thinking that I could lose my salvation, that I could do something to lose eternal life. But God says in his word in 1 John 5, 13, I want you to know, I want you to have the assurance, I want you to have that joy of knowing that you're born again. Now, let's focus on these verses before us. We've laid some foundation work. I want to impress three truths in your heart, the remainder of our time together. Number one, and this is to every believer, okay? Every believer. I want you to realize today and remember and recognize and be reminded of this truth. Our Savior is real. Our Savior is real. Look at verses one and two. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. Our savior is real. Now you might be thinking, well, preacher, I know that I have no problem with that. I'm assured of that. I know Jesus is real. He's referred to as the word of life. Now, we all know that he's real, but you know what? There are those who don't. And likewise, there are those who not only don't know, there are those who say that he isn't real. And they're out spreading false teaching. As you've already mentioned, one of the reasons that John wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was to refute, to fight this false teaching. He said in 1 John 2.18, little children, do you see the tenderness of it? It's one of the reasons we think he wrote it later in life as the, the, the old apostle. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. So he's talking about the Antichrist and then many Antichrists, those who were false teachers, those who were going out attacking the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who were those false teachers? Who's he talking about here? There's three possibilities. Maybe a combination. We're not sure. As I was studying this, Zane Hodge himself, he said it could have been the Gnostics. You don't know any Gnostics, do you? They don't live down the road, probably right. But the Gnostics, they were those who held to a strict dualism. They said, listen, there's the spiritual life and there's the material life or physical life. The spiritual is good. Material is no good. And so, you know, basically the idea was do what you want or whatever. It was, there was they held to this strict dualism. But there were also those who referred to that, that, that false teaching of docetism. So what is that all about, preacher? Well, docetism believed that Jesus' humanity was not real. That is, he just appeared to have a physical body. He didn't really have a physical body. He just appeared to have a physical body. So when you looked at him and he looked like he had a body, he really didn't have a body. He's like a, a spirit or whatever. And he just had that appearance. And then there were those uh, who followed Serenthus. Uh, Serenthus. Uh, I understand that Serenthus lived in Roman Asia and was strongly opposed by the Apostle John. And here's what Serenthus taught. He taught that Jesus was only a man. And the divine part ascended on him, descended on him at his baptism and left him before the crucifixion. In other words, Jesus was just a man like us. And at his baptism, the divinity came upon him. But then before he was crucified, it left him. So he was just a man who became endued with God and then not. Now, do you see any problems with any of those? 
There's a great problem with those. See, beloved, if, if Jesus is not who he says he is and who the Bible says he is, if he's not the God man, perfect God, perfect man joined in the flesh, if he did not have a real human body, then he could not die for our sins. If he was just a man who then was endued for a while and then took away, he could not die for our sins. Why? Because he would be a sinner. And so he had to be the perfect God man, the incarnation, God coming in flesh. It's essential to Christianity. Without it, we cannot be saved. He was perfect God, perfect man joined together. The God man. He calls him here the word of life. And John wastes no time in defending this truth. And by the way, you need to be able to understand this truth. Because in our day, there are still folks who will deny that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And if he's not, then we're lost. He must be the God-man. Three things under this thought our Savior is real. Number one, he was from the beginning. Did you notice it says that which was from the beginning? Now think about John for a moment. You know, he wrote the Gospel of John in the beginning. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Did John write anything else about the beginning? Yeah, in his Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at the very first verse, here's what he said. In the beginning, you probably remember it, was the Word. Remember that? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who's He talking about there is the Word? Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, here in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 John, He refers to Jesus as who? The Word of life. Now, we see in John 1, 1, the Gospel of John, the eternality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The eternality, that is, Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Please understand that. He's God. At Bethlehem, God stepped into human flesh. Not just an appearance of flesh, not just the appearance of a body, but He took upon Himself perfect humanity. He is eternal God. And then in John 1 John 1, 1, he says in the beginning again. Now this time, I don't think he's talking about the eternality of Jesus. Although he will in just a second, and I'll show it to you. I think where it says that which was from the beginning here, he's talking about the incarnation. When Jesus stepped into flesh. Why? Because he goes on to say, listen, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him, our eyes have seen him. He's talking about the incarnation. When Jesus stepped to the human flesh. So we see that he's from the beginning, but he was also, secondly, with the Father. Verse 2. It says there what? That eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. So here we see that he does refer to God's, uh, Jesus' eternal life and his deity. He was with the Father. He'll say later, later in his letter, listen, in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So we see right away, he says, listen, Jesus is the Word of life. Jesus is eternal life. And he was from the beginning. He was with the Father. But now I want you to notice the end of verse 2. This is so precious. The end of verse 2 says what? It says he was manifested to us. He was manifested to us. 
In his gospel, John said it this way. In John 1.14, here's what he said. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. He was manifested to us. And I want you to talk see what he says about Jesus' humanity. Notice he says, first of all, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. The we there speaking of the apostles, speaking of the eyewitnesses. Notice it says we heard him. He spoke. He had a human voice. Wouldn't you love to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you love to hear him pray, hear him bless, hear him teach? Well, we have his word in in the word, don't we? One day we'll see him face to face. We heard him. Look at what it says next. Which we have seen with our eyes. We've seen him. We're eyewitnesses. Listen, we saw him. He's real. And it goes on to say, not only have we saw him, which we have looked upon. He wasn't like the Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Well, I saw something in the woods. It was there and it's gone. Look at this fuzzy picture. There it is. No, 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 no. He says, listen, we saw with our eyes. Then it says we've looked upon. It's the idea of gazing. It's the idea of observing. There's a length of time going on. We're, we're gazing. We're looking at him. When you're young and in love, it's the idea, right? Where you, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you, you look at you gaze upon them, right? You, you observe them. You're, you're looking with open eyes. Look what else he says. Our hands have handled We've touched him. Now, that, that's more than just appearance of a body. If he didn't have a body, you just go right on through, right? He's just a spirit. Our hands have touched him. Well, we read about it, don't we? Uh, he brings the little children. Forbid them not. Let's read that this past week in my Bible reading. Uh, Forbid them not. He, he brings them up and he blesses them, doesn't he? And, and, and they touched him. He's real. He says what? He says, listen. He says, uh, verse uh, number two, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness. That is, we're testifying to you. We're eyewitnesses. We're, we're given a testimony and declare to you. We're reporting these things to you in John's mind. Listen, he knows that Jesus is the God man. He has no doubt about it. And Jesus wants you to have that assurance as well. In fact, when you look in the uh, Gospel of Luke. The Lord Jesus himself in his resurrected body. Now, he's already gone to the cross. He's already gone to the tomb. He's alive again. Here's what it says in Luke 24, 36 to 43. Listen. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see me for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? Why in the world would Jesus ask for food? It says in verse 42, so they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in their presence. Listen, a spirit doesn't have dinner with you. But someone in human flesh will. And here he is in his resurrected body. 
And she says, listen, I want you to know I am real. I'm back. I'm alive. I live. Here I am. Handle me. Touch me. He would say other other place. Right, Thomas, don't be doubting. Reach in your finger. You know, I won't believe us. I see him. Here it is. I want you to know. Beloved, our Savior is real. He's more real than this room you're sitting in. He's more real than this world we live in. Our Savior is real. Hallelujah. And John saying, listen, I want you to know these things. God wants you to know these things. Our Savior is real. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Oh, beloved, our Savior. This is the second thing here. We've got to hurry. And that's this. Our fellowship is sweet. Our fellowship is sweet. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now John says, listen, we've seen Him, we've heard Him, we've touched Him, we've handled Him, we know Him. And we're telling you all this so that you can have sweet fellowship too. And we have to wonder what kind of impact these false teachers, these antichrists, were having upon the body of believers there. Their fellowship could certainly have been impacted. They could have been doubting their faith. Uh, They could have been fumbling along. They could have been losing their joy. But we know that God, the Holy Spirit, was writing through John that their joy might be full or complete. He wanted them to have assurance and joy. Now, the idea of fellowship, sweet fellowship, the idea of fellowship, that word is one of the sweet words of the Bible. The, The Greek word is koinonia. Will you say that with me? Koinonia. Say it again. Koinonia. And you can go out today and say, listen, I I spoke Greek this morning in church. Koinonia. Someone had, how do you define that? Well, someone said koinonia fellowship. You know how you define it? It's two fellows in a ship. That's fellowship. And in a sense, that's correct, but it's not complete. The idea of koinonia or fellowship is the idea of partnership or sharing or having in common. I like to say it's sharing life together. Now, listen, I want you to understand something. Fellowship, Christian fellowship is more than having coffee and donuts over in the fellowship hall. It's more than that. It can include that, but it's more than that. Because it says what here? It says that we've been united in Christ, right? Because it says that we have fellowship with, uh, with the, the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, here's the idea. We were once out of fellowship with God. In fact, the Bible says we were enemies of God. We were rebels. We were sinners. Denying Him. Going against His law, against His rule. Against His word and His will. Yet because of Jesus, the word of life, we can now have fellowship with God. Now, the question today is, do you have it? So that's an individual question. That's a personal question. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You don't get this kind of fellowship. You don't get to be in fellowship with God because your mom or dad is in fellowship with God. Or because your grandma and grandpa are in fellowship with God. Or because you go to church where people are in fellowship with God. You must personally turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible declares that when you do that, he forgives you of your sin. 
He gives you a home in heaven. He makes you an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. And he gives you something called eternal life. Eternal life. And you can have that assurance and that peace and that joy and that sure hope because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friend, I I can't begin this series here in 1 John talking about all these wonderful things without asking you, do you have this sweet fellowship? Do you have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, you can today. And I encourage you to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And this idea of fellowship with God changes our life. In fact, beloved, living the Christian life is no longer a have to. It's a get to. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you know what, beloved? I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. See the difference? I don't have to serve the Lord. I get to serve the Lord. I don't have to give. I get to give. It's a privilege. Why? Because I have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We have fellowship. Now, the fellowship with God and His Son is the basis, remember the outline, the basis of our fellowship with one another. Because of it, we can have this. It's the basis. In fact, it's the basis of this book we're studying. And all of this leads us to the third point, and we're again just setting the stage really today. We understand our Savior's real, we know that. Our fellowship is sweet, but there's a third thing here, and that's this. Our joy can be complete. Look at verse 4. He tells us again while I'm writing. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The New King James says full. Your version may say complete. Has the idea of being filled up. Filling up with joy. Kanoi writing said this, these believers knew the joy of forgiveness, but not the fullness of joy. That is the joy of fellowship. In other words, it's possible to be forgiven. It's possible to be a son or daughter of God and yet not have the fullness of joy. If I'm understanding all this right, and I hope I am. I conclude this. If I look at these first four verses. When I have the word of life, who is Jesus, and because I have him, I'm in fellowship with God the Father and with the Son. And I'm also in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It helps to complete, that is to fill up, to make full my joy. Why? Because I have the Son, the word of life. I have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I have fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the thing. I can mess up that sweet fellowship, can I? And so can you. Now, when I mess up, I still have sonship. I'm still a child of God. But boy, I sure can strain the sweet fellowship that I enjoy with the Father and his son. And I can mess up, by the way, did you know this as good Baptist? We can mess up the sweet fellowship we have with one another. Boy, she looked at me crossways. He didn't shake my hand. He didn't speak to me. We can mess up that sweet fellowship. We'll see more of that as we continue studying in the book. But today we want to focus on this. 
I want you to leave today as a believer, reveling in, marveling over, standing amazed at the fact that our Savior is real. And because He is real, our fellowship is sweet. Sweet fellowship with the Father and His Son and sweet fellowship with one another. And marveling and reveling in the fact that our joy can be complete. Now, I wonder today, friend, do you have this sweet fellowship? Do you have it? First of all, with God the Father and His Son. And second of all, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Both of those are important. First of all, make sure the first part is complete and done. That you have fellowship with God the Father and His Son. That you're a child of God. You've repented of your sin. Placed your faith in Christ. And that you've confessed your sin and you're walking in the light of the Lord. And then is there anything that's hindering the fellowship between your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there someone today that you've had a falling out with? You've had cross words with? Man, get that right. Get it settled. You be the one to go and set that right. We need one another. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, once said, Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude. He said, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are what? Sheep in this respect. And they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks. Sheep go in flocks. And so do God's people. Beloved, thank God today for that wonderful, sweet fellowship. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress upon our hearts and minds these great truths that we're learning from your word. And I pray today if anyone here has never repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that this will be the moment they do that. Father, I pray for believers who've settled that, but maybe are out of fellowship with you. Still a son or daughter, but they're not living for your pleasure and your glory. I pray they might get that right today. And then, Father, I pray for any who might be struggling in their fellowship with one another. Whether it's a family, whether it's the body of Christ here, whoever it may be, I pray today they'll get that settled and right before you and with their brother and sister. Lord, thank you for the sweet fellowship. Bless this study as we dive into this book. Mold us, change us, make us more like Jesus, we pray. For his honor and glory. Amen and amen. As ladies come today to the instruments, the altar is open. If you need to be saved today, I invite you to come. If you want to pray today, I invite you to do that. If you need to make some things right today, do that. I thought an appropriate closing hymn as we go out. We're talking about marveling in and reveling in and standing amazed at this sweet fellowship would be 333, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a a fellowship, what a joy divine. Doesn't that fit nicely with our passage here? Leaning on the everlasting arms. You come today, I'm here if I could pray with you, help you, guide you to Christ as we sing 333, leaning on the everlasting arms. Would you stand? Let's sing out.
third verse, when we get to the chorus, they're going to drop out the instruments. We're going to sing that last part of Hello before we go home. You ready? Let's sing that third verse. Thompson, would you ask God's blessing?